Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. So here's an interesting thought as we've been diving into, again, the gospel of Luke. Jesus looks at his disciples as well as the religious, and he says, uh, hey guys, I'm offering new wine. And he makes the statement, you can't pour new wine into old wineskin, meaning you can't pour the gospel and the spirit-filled life into the old legalistic uh, regimented system. Now, here's what we understand when we study the life of Jesus, right? He's bringing this new wine. He's offering new wine. And his teachings regarding the new covenant challenges everything that religious people think is normal. If you notice that, when Jesus begins to teach new covenant truth, it challenges what religious people think is normal. Jesus makes statements like, uh, you've heard it said, but I say to you. you. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I, I say to you, even if you have lust in your heart. So the teachings of Jesus goes directly to our heart. And so what you're going to see is that the old system or the old way was all about a system. Jesus, the Savior, is bringing new life. It's the kingdom of man versus the kingdom of God. Now, if I had to give you a working definition of new wine, here's what I would say it is. New wine is all about relationship, relationship vertically with the Father, horizontally understanding the importance of community. Uh, the new wine is about grace. It's inward. It's about the heart. It brings about hope and freedom and salvation and deliverance. And so when you look at new wine, Jesus would even say, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. I've come to free you. The old wine was all about religion, not about relationship. It was about the law. It was about duty. It was about outward appearance. It was about performing. And when you live life according to the law and rules and performance, it will always lead to the same place, and the place is exhaustion. Anybody tired? Beat up with religion. Even in Matthew 11, Jesus says, why don't you come to me, all of you who are just tired and worn out and beat up with religion, and, and come and I will give you rest. Learn my unforced rhythms of grace. Take my yoke and my teachings and my sayings. Learn from me. So this is where we're going to go today. We're going we're gonna to be in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20. But looking back real quick, last week... We were at the place where Jesus chooses his 12 disciples that he calls apostles, meaning those that he's going to send out into the world with a God-style mission to represent him. And when you look at these lives, they were a motley crew, just a bunch of good old redneck, just dudes that hung out at the fishing pier or whatever. You, you would say, man, what a bunch of ragamuffins they were. And so... After choosing the 12, Jesus is about to teach and deliver what many scholars believe to be the greatest sermon of all time. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20, is the cliff note version, the small reader's digest version of what is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. And what Luke does here is that Luke takes 
what's in 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, as well as what's in Matthew 23. And Luke gives expression here in his gospel uh, to these Greeks that are trying to figure out really who is God and what is the gospel all about. Okay, you follow me there? Matthew 6, uh, 5, 6, and 7 gives you great detail. Read that Sermon on the Mount, study it. But Luke here is a cliff note version. Now, when we ponder and contemplate and consider Master Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, here's what I want you to know. Jesus' teaching style was not safe and it was not comfortable. When you study Jesus' style of teaching and the content of what he teaches, it was not safe or comfortable. Jesus was never teaching to entertain a crowd. Jesus was never teaching for popularity or to gain acceptance. When you study Master Jesus, he did not give the people what they wanted to hear. He shared with them what they needed to hear. You see, the miracles and the healings that Jesus performed attracted like this cool crowd. But now Jesus is about to firm it up and he's about to go into new covenant, truth, heart style teaching that's hard and difficult. And the emphasis that Jesus makes is this. If you're going to really follow me, it's going to cost you. If you're going to really follow me and be my disciple, it's, it's going to be a difficult road. And Jesus speaks about poverty and persecution and mourning and sorrow Jesus even talks about loving your enemies. That's an easy one to do, right? Jesus talks about not retaliating. He talks about going the extra mile. Jesus talks about giving to those in need. He talks about when you do what you do, don't expect anything in return. So this is a whole different style of teaching because much of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes would do is they would do this outward stuff so that people would applaud them and notice them and recognize them. And Jesus is like, that's not, that's not the new covenant. That's not the new wine that I'm offering. I want your heart. I want to free you up. I, 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 I want to liberate you so that you can flourish in life. So picking it up here in verse 20, there's contrast. There's four blessing statements and four woe statements all Unpackage some of this. And turning his gaze to his disciples, Jesus began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, ostracize you, insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, their fathers used to treat even the prophets. You see what Jesus is saying? A true man of God that came anointed by God, even if you go back and study history, even the people now, these Pharisees and these Sadducees and Essenes and religious people, if you go back and study their 
fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers, that they, they would also scorn against the man of God. But woe to you, woe to you who are rich. You're receiving your comfort right now in full. Woe to you who are well-fed now. You're going to be hungry later. Woe to you who laugh now. You're going to mourn and weep. Woe to you when all, all these men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Pretty heavy teaching right here. So you've, you've got to ponder this. And to me, you've got to say, hmm, the teachings of Jesus, if I get gut level honest, they're very challenging and they're very confrontational when it comes to me just living a safe, comfortable life. And you've got to stop and almost ask the question, why do really so many people, but yet even so many Christians, struggle with the teachings of Jesus? And I would tell you, I believe the reason so many, even Christians, struggle with the teachings of Christ is because it confronts our materialistic consumerism mindset. You follow me? So it got me thinking. I read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I read Luke chapter 6. But I'm like, if Jesus were living in America today, and if Jesus were speaking at churches throughout America today, what would he say? What would he say? Here's some things I wrote out, Drew. I think he would say, stop worrying so much about the economy and so much about jobs and earthly wealth. Stop focusing on how much money you can make and save. Don't you realize the American dream really is a lie? Who does it focus on? Does it focus on God or does it focus on man? Is inflation really a bad thing? Who are you trusting? What are you trusting? Don't you realize that I've always used adversity as a gift to grow my people? Embrace it. Do you not understand that the poor around you really are the fortunate ones? Because it allows those that have to be a blessing to those have-nots in your world. My kingdom has compassion for the down and outs. The people that are broke are not as quick to trust in money or materialism. Think about it. The poor are more open to trust God for their next meal. Don't you realize that trusting God and depending on God matters? Don't you realize that? And why do you Try and numb your pain and disregard how you truly feel. Those who mourn and seek after God, those are the ones who will be blessed and comforted. I know the religious right talk about how woke our culture is, and that is true. Prayer is no longer allowed in schools. The Ten Commandments were silenced in protesters against abortion or being arrested and thrown in jail. But don't you understand the government oppression actually gives my followers an opportunity to be persecuted and insulted. And this too is a blessing of God because it reveals where your trust is. My people are blessed when they're attacked. 
for living holy and sanctified lives. Persecution and insult is an opportunity for my people to reflect they belong to me. Don't you see that my kingdom is different? My kingdom is not focused on the here and now. Following me is not safe. Following me is costly. Will you really satisfy your soul with this new wine? Will you truly repent and follow me? Will you come after me with all your heart? Could you imagine in this culture where there's so much being taught about health, wealth, and prosperity, this blab it and grab it, name it and claim it culture, could you imagine the outrage that Jesus would face in most churches across our nation today? You want me rich, you want me happy, you want me living the comfortable life, right? No, no. I want your heart. I want you to be willing to suffer for my name's sake. And don't you understand that some 2,000 years ago, as Master Jesus stood and said, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are really hungry. Blessed are you who are mourning and hurting. Don't you know that a lot of the religious people looked at him and said, what a joke. But don't you know that there was a remnant of people in that day that were poor? There was a large populace even of the Jewish people that were hungry, they were sick, they were overworked, they were mistreated, they were abused by the Roman rulers. Don't you know when Jesus came on the scene with the Roman rule that was taking place at that day and he's looking at these people and he says, stop, stop. I know you're being mistreated. I know you're being abused. I know you're being cheated. I know you're being lied to. I know that you're being overtaxed. I know that. I know you want freedom from oppression. I know you do. But my kingdom is not of this world. You're thinking that I'm going to be this earthly king and I'm going to come and set up my kingdom here. But my kingdom is somewhere else. My kingdom is not here and now. And, and, and it, you're going to face adversity and affliction and suffering if you really follow me. I think for so many people, it's like, man, if I really surrender it all, what is God going to ask me really to give him? Mama Kay, Jesus is saying, you're blessed. You're blessed when your allegiance is to me. You're blessed when people insult you and attack you because your allegiance is to me. You're, you're blessed when you belong to me and you're seeking to live a sanctified, holy life unto me and people attack you. You're blessed. Why don't you be glad and leap for joy? Don't you realize that I've always used persecution as a way to expand my kingdom? If you go back in the... 1960s, there was a major revolution that took place in mainland China. A group of over 500,000 teenagers and young adults known as the Red Guards, they rallied together to overthrow everything in China that they determined 
was a part of like old customs and old ways. The Red Guard rallied. We're, we're going we're gonna to clean this country up. August 25th, 1966, the South China Morning Post read, the final page of Christian religion in Shanghai has been written. The Red Guards, we're going we're gonna to come in and clean up this country. We're going to clean up our land. What, so what happened? As a result of their anger and their angst against God and anything Christ-centered, we're going to decimate this country of Christianity. We're going to eliminate all traces of the gospel throughout this land. We will eradicate Christianity once and for all. And you know when they came in, it was so crazy because they went to all these churches and they stripped the crosses from the churches and they stripped the Bibles from the churches and they stripped the hymnals that they were singing from, from the churches and they stripped any Christian paraphernalia that they could find that declared that Jesus is Lord. And they're like, we're taking it out of this country. There was a remnant of believers that really love God and believe God, but they were facing persecution and insult and scorn and brutality because of their allegiance to Jesus. Some 60 years later, the fastest growing church in the world is the underground church in China. It exploded through persecution, through insult, through adversity, and now many believe that there are 100 million strong worshipers of God because they didn't quit. They stayed with it. They kept pressing in. And I will tell you, when you learn to persevere and trust God and press God, press into God, and you don't throw the towel in, you know in your own personal life that the greatest growth has happened during times of tension and persecution. When it's hard. But how many of us, when something traumatic or terrible happens to us, John Mark, how many of us sit back so overwhelmed, and how many of us say, I am blessed. God loves me enough to allow me to suffer. God loves me enough to allow me to go through this, this difficult time. I am blessed. The problem is, very few of us think that way. And what gets exposed in the process, even as Jesus teaching, uh, teaches, is this. We start to realize that our worldview and ideology toward life and how we view things is much more worldly than it is godly. And what Jesus is saying, if, it, if you come to me, Tara, and if you really repent and surrender, I want you to know this new wine, it tastes different. It's better, but it's costly. And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is describing and defining how things will look in this world for the follower and disciple of his. And what he focuses on is heart. What he focuses on is attitude because the attitude of our heart is crucial for everything we do in life. That's why Paul would even write in Philippians 2, do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as more important 
than yourself. Have this attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus, that although he was God, he laid aside these deitic privileges. He was God. He was God. And he took on a, a robe of flesh and he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Is he okay? He's all right. That's our boy Don. He's been battling health issues. So let me say this to you. Focus back with me. In verses 20 through 26, it focuses on your attitude regarding circumstances. In verses 27 through 38, write it down. It's your attitude toward other people. In 39 through 45, it's your attitude toward yourself. And in 46 through 49, it's your attitude about God. Capture this right here. Your attitude regarding circumstances, your attitude about other people, your attitude about yourself, and your attitude about God. Which means this, you will be blessed as a disciple of Jesus, you will be blessed as a disciple of Jesus if you anchor your faith in God. If you love others, if you're honest with yourself, if you obey God, you will be blessed. There is a cost in following Jesus, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Stop. Stop. Y'all take care of him. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as Sandra and Neil and others, Lord, uh, take care of our brother Don. Lord, we love this man. This man has been a radical servant of yours. This man has been such a key part of this fellowship here since I've been here. But Lord, we know that he has battled health issues. Recently, this accident that he had knocked him down. And Lord, he's needing care. He's needing your touch right now. So collectively with this entire body in this room, we lift up our brother Don and we pray, Father, that you would touch him. Lord, if you're wanting to call him home, I know the way Don's wired. He would rather be in church worshiping you than any other place. But Lord, I, I, I know his body needs, his body needs some love. And so I pray that you would touch him right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay with me. You will be blessed as a disciple of Jesus if you anchor your faith in God. You will be blessed as a disciple of Jesus if you really learn to love other people. You will be blessed if you get honest with yourself and know your true soul and how you're wired. You will be blessed if you obey God. As I said earlier, I promise you this. We live in a culture that's made the gospel almost easy believism. Just acknowledge God and you're good. And I'm telling you when Jesus says, Blessed are you poor. Blessed are you when you're hungry. Blessed are you when you mourn. Blessed are you when people hate you. The word blessed, I would write this down. You need to wrap your mind around this. The word blessed means congratulations. The favor of God is near you. The favor, is God, favor of God is with you. Your heavenly father, I, I promise you, Jesus is Introducing the Father. When you pray, say our Father. He's introducing the true heart of heaven. Your Father in heaven is dependable. He has something for you. He is available. He wants you to know him. You've got to lean in. You've got to lean in. 
Blessed are you. When you're poor, when you're hungry, when you mourn, when you're persecuted, Jack, blessed are you. And then why would he use the word poor? Blessed are the poor. The word poor there literally translates, you realize deep in your heart, you recognize and realize that you have absolutely zero spiritual assets. You are spiritually bankrupt. You bring nothing to the dance. You have nothing to offer. You're a beggar. You need somebody else to take care of you. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who recognize and realize how deficient you are. Blessed are those who have tried to get their needs met apart from Christ. Blessed are those who, who have found themselves empty time and time again. Blessed are those who have used their solutions and strategies and agendas to try to make life work, and it hasn't worked. Blessed are you when you come to the realization that you need God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying that having a deep spiritual awareness of your spiritual condition, when you realize your spiritual condition apart from God, when you realize how deficient you are, that's a gift. Tim, what changed for you when I realized that I am nothing and have nothing apart from the Lord? When I realized that all my earthly accomplishments accomplishments, Dana, don't work. When I realize I'm in a place where I, I'm desperate for God-style change to depend on God and know God, he goes, that's blessed. That's blessed. Blessed are the poor, but woe to the rich. Whoa. Matthew 23, he uses seven woe statements to capture the essence Woe means, do you not realize that grief and affliction and trouble and calamity await you? Who was he talking to? He was talking to the haves that did not share with the have-nots. He was talking to the haves that were convinced they did not need him. Woe to you. And what Jesus is saying is, do you not realize that true wealth transcends money and stuff. Woe to you who are trusting in money. Woe to you who are trying to stockpile earthly wealth. Woe to you who think it's all about here and now. Jesus even uses the story of the man that had so much that he was going to tear down the one barn and build a bigger barn. And Jesus goes, you fool. Why would you do that? Why are you thinking about stockpiling more for you? You're, you're you're not rich toward God. That's foolish. God blesses you so that you can become a flowing stream to bless other people, not a stagnant pond. And he's like, I, I, I want to I wanna bless you, but all you think about is, is you. Blessed are those who realize they need God. Blessed are those who surrender to the Lord Jesus. Blessed are those who trust God. Woe to you who will not trust God. Woe to you who reject God. Woe to you who ignore God. Woe to you, woe to you who's eliminated God from your life. Woe to you. It's stockpile all this earthly. Guess what? When you die, there's a good chance that the next generation is going to waste it. Woe to you. 
But the problem, the problem is this, as a culture, and this is the culture we live in. Our culture worships money and stuff, materialism. Watch the ads, consumerism. I mean, you watch March Madness today and check out a few games and see all the ads that are trying to lure you to become a consumer. But why is it even in the church that so many Christ followers define their worth by their wealth? Because here's the equation. Little money means I feel bad about myself. But lots of money, I start to feel good about myself. And what if we believe deep down inside that money really has no lasting value? What if we really believe that it has no lasting value? It don't last forever. What, what if we really believe that serving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength was true riches? What about if we shifted the paradigm that we do not use money and earthly wealth as an accurate indicator of defining where we find our worth? What if it was being rich toward God of loving and serving and giving and living a generous life? I will tell you this, that money and earthly wealth is a terrible indicator of your worth and identity. But why does it appear that we value money more than Jesus. Again, Jesus challenges a materialistic value system and he goes, it's worthless. True riches are spiritual. I've seen so many people that feel that their wealth insulates them and they reach a place where they're not desperate to change and they don't want to be flowing streams. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money, God and pleasure, God and sports, God and fill in the blank. You just can't do it because every master, don't miss this, every master has an imposed value system. Whoever your authority is and whoever your master is, the other system is going to be opposed to that. And Jesus goes, I want you to drink new wine. I want to pour this new wine into you, but you're going to have to look at life through a spiritual lens and a kingdom-style focus. Again, you can read through these. The contrast, blessed are you who hunger now. You'll be satisfied. Woe to you who are wed, uh, well fed now. You're going to be hungry later. You're going to starve because you're all about the earthly. Blessed are you who weep now. You're going to laugh and celebrate later. Woe to you who laugh now and say, I don't need God. I'm going to do life the way I want to. We're having fun. We're hedonistic. You're going to weep later. Blessed are you when you, you get hated on, insulted. Woe to you when people are applauding you. It's all about the condition of the heart. And that's what Jesus has come to set us free. Hey, I want your perspective to be kingdom-focused. So how do we move there? So we have to ask the question, do I trust God or not? 
whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, do I trust God or not? Am I willing to trust God or not? I've got three generations of my girls right here. I got my mama, my wife, and my oldest daughter. Mom grew up rough, mill village, down in Noonan. Her and dad got married at a very young age. I was born 13 months later. But I can tell you this. As I watched your life for 60 years, there has always been a contentment inside her life. Didn't have a lot. Paycheck to paycheck. We'd fry up a few pieces of spam, whatever we had, make it work. But I look at her, and even watching her go through these last years, if somebody said, give me a word that defines your mama, I would say content. With dad suffering, dad tanking, dad dying. I look in her face and I'm like, she's content. We asked her the other day, hey, mom, when's the last time you went to the beach? Probably been about 18 years. When's the last time you've been to the mountains? We've got to make this work for her. We've got to go just experience some life. Y'all don't ever take me anywhere. Y'all don't ever come back. Never have heard that from her. She's content. She belongs to the Lord. I'll call her some days. What are you doing, mama? Start getting back in church after your dad. I got me a small group of ladies I'm hanging out with. I'm like, oh, mama, that's so good. Never hear her complain. What she's driving, where she's living, what she's wearing, what she's eating. You know what Paul said? The apostle? He goes, uh, I've learned the secret of uh, being content. And the secret to being content is having a kingdom perspective. You know how we translate Philippians 4.13 in our culture as almost being a rabbit foot's verse? I can do all things through Christ. When you read that verse, what Paul is actually saying is, I've learned the secret. A secret is something that a lot of people don't know. What secret have you learned? I've learned the secret of being content. What's the secret of being content? Well, I've been hungry and I've been fed, but I'm still content. I've had clothing and I haven't had clothing. I'm still content. I've had shelter and not, I've still been con still, still content. I, I've been beaten. I've been slandered. I've been imprisoned. I, I'm, I'm content. How are you content? And he would say, uh, probably the accurate translation of that verse is, uh, I'm content because Jesus is enough for me. Jesus is my sufficiency no matter where I'm at and what I'm going through. When I say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what I'm saying is because he's my authority, he's my master, he's my sufficiency, he's walked me through everything, and he's going to keep walking with me until he says, give me back my breath. That's the teaching that Jesus is giving, right? Blessed are you who have a, a kingdom focus. Tony Evans said, 
Contentment is a great indicator of a spirit in surrender to God's rule. Contentment is a great indicator when a person's spirit is surrendered to the rule and law and ways and will of God. Evans goes on to say, contentment is a great indicator when a heart is aligned to living with a kingdom focus. That's right. Blessed are those who seek God. Blessed are those who are desperate for the Lord. Blessed are those who desire to walk in the fullness of the gospel. I close you with this. Think about it. The poorest man in the world is the one who has nothing but money. The poorest man is the one who has nothing but money. When you see some people that look like they don't have much and haven't owned much, but they have peace with God and joy with the Lord, and they've got purpose for being on the planet, I would look and go, that's one of the richest people I know. That's wealth. That's what God is calling us to. And so I'll I'll wrap it with this. So what about if I do have earthly wealth? Praise God, man. Steward it for the glory of God. God, God's blessed me and it don't own me. Man, that's so cool. It, It doesn't have to own you. Can you be a millionaire and a billionaire? And you can, as long as your hands are open like this, as long as you're not greedy for more. As long as you're rich toward God, yes, God wants you to be rich toward him. Do I believe that he has like blessed some people like crazy with earthly wealth? Yes, so that you will be a blessing to others. When you got plenty of food, just give thanks. Praise God. There's people around the world right now that are dumpster diving to try to find something to eat. Every person under my voice, they're rich. You got plenty of food. You're not begging for your next meal. You haven't gone weeks without going, I don't know. We've got food here. We have the opportunity to bless others with a meal. That's what Jesus is talking about. So here's the conclusion. If if you've got to choose between wealth or Jesus, or being well-fed or Jesus, or having fun, or Jesus, can I just encourage you? Choose Jesus. Choose to follow the Lord. Choose to lay your life on the altar as a living sacrifice and just go, I want to know the Lord. That's what Paul said. I just want to know you. It's like, so what matters? I would say being content with Jesus and seeking first his kingdom, that, that's how you live a blessed life. You want to live a blessed life? I, I, I do. Be content in Jesus and seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you.